the day of first fruits. Okay? So, and again, I've said this before, I've got no evidence for this, but I believe at the time that the, the priest was going out into the, to the fields on the opposite side of the Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem, early in the morning, just as the priest was going into to harvest the first sheep of the harvest, the barley harvest, okay? That was the first fruits of the harvest to come. What would happen then is that they would take that, that sheep into the temple and they would prepare the, the, the sheep in the temple to be presented before God as what they call the omer. Right? And so they would present it as the first fruits, the first fruits of the harvest to come. And that began a process called the counting of the omen. And then it would count 50 days until the feast of Pentecost or Shavuot, yeah, the feast of weeks, where the rest of the harvest would be brought in, the first fruits, the people would bring the first fruits of their harvest to the temple. But why is that significant, friends? Because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but now Messiah, or Christ, has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. And so, again, at the same way that the first fruits of the harvest that represented the harvest of God was presented on that Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, in the temple, representing the harvest to come, Christ was raised from the dead as the first fruit, the first portion of the harvest to come. Who's the harvest to come? Us. Us. It's, 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 it represents and it's the guarantee Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. He wasn't some false messiah, he wasn't some pretender, 
Okay, he was who he said he was. He made it very clear as he went through his ministry who he was. He's come out with some bold stuff. And the resurrection vindicated him. Okay? You can also read Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, Acts 2, verse 36. Secondly, he said it proves his perfect divine nature. Acts 13, let's go. Acts 13. Oh, it's in the New Testament book. Acts 13. Interesting chapter. And then the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Amen. 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 Yes. Just look, let me just catch up on the thoughts here. I, I, uh, Acts 13, 34, that's what you read, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, here it is. He says, uh, okay, verse 35 as well. Sorry, okay. Therefore he also says also in another song, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Okay. You will not let your holy one see corruption. You will not let your holy one see decay. Decay of what? Of his body. Exactly. Why? Because he's holy. He's holy. It's perfect. Amen? So important, friends. So important. It is on the basis of Christ's resurrection that we receive forgiveness of sins. And the Apostle Paul speaks about a lot about this in Acts in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, he talks about the fact that, you know, if, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. And we might as well go on, this my paraphrase, we might as well just go and live in the way, any way we want to, like everybody else. Because it's all faith futile, your, your sins are not forgiven and so on. But Christ has been raised from the dead, he's the Messiah. He's been raised from the dead, he's been vindicated, he's been demonstrated to be the Son of God. Okay, and therefore, we also may receive forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 30, verses 38 to 39, I'll read that one. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Praise God. Yes? Did you get that, friends? Yes. Through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That's only possible because he raised from the dead, because God was satisfied with his offering. <coughs> as our representative, as our substitute, God was satisfied with his offering. God, the Father, vindicates the Son. The Spirit raises him from the dead. And the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised him from the dead indwells us. You've been given as a guarantee, as a, as a deposit, as a down payment, even. Of what is to come, which is wonderful. Okay. Without his resurrection, we would not have a saviour. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 to 19. Just touched on that. The resurrection signifies the arrival of the new creation. Let's have a look at this. Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. Somebody gets there first, feel free. Jesus. 
Alright? In heaven. Yes? Because that's where he is. But that's not the end of the story. Because we know that Christ will return. Yes? And depending on your eschatology, your understanding of the last things, he will come and he will establish the reign in the earth of a thousand years. We call them the millennial reign of Christ. But that's not the end of the story. The Bible talks about the final rebellion. And it talks about a great white throne judgment. Yes? And then it talks about the all things being made new. A new heaven and a new earth. That's the end goal. But right now, it starts with you. That work that has started in you, friends, it will lead you, it will stay with you, it will lead you through the, the, the veil of death, it will bring you to resurrection, and it will bring you to the place of inheriting the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he's got you for. He's got a plan for a new heavens and a new earth, but his plan right now is preparing the people to inherit it. This is the people. Blows your mind something that I've had sometime. Anything like that? Hard to, hard to imagine. Anyway, so the resurrection signifies the arrival of the new creation, but the consummation, the arrival. Because he rose from the dead, we will too. And we've established that really, haven't we, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 to 23. Here's the first fruit. That's important, friend. That, that word, the first fruits, is basically saying, look, the, the resurrection has just started, it hasn't finished. It starts with Jesus, it finishes with us. Yes? Yeah. It starts with resurrection. We've got to be resurrected. Otherwise, that work of resurrection is not complete. That work of God, what, was the, what would be the point of saving us in the first place? You know? When we talk about resurrection, you say, well, what are we going to be, what are we be looking for? Okay. I might be 30 again. We're going to use about 30. Friend of Christ. Well, 30, Fred, remember that? I think I knew you. It was about 30. Yeah. yeah. We both had flaming red hair. So who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll resurrect with flaming red hair. You know? And, 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 and a body like a greedy goddess. <laughs> uh, perhaps not. Perhaps not. Well, like Samson. Yes, yeah, like Samson. Like Samson. Who knows?
Yes? And I just thought we'd all be the same age. 33, we'll all be 33. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome for that, yeah? Yeah. 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 Awesome for that. Prime, 33. I can't remember who had a belly when I was 33. Yeah. Will you accept the 33 if it's that point? Yeah. Awesome for that.
And so it's interesting that where he went away from, and the men of Galilee were stood there looking up, as I would have been stood there looking up, is where he, his ultimate return to the earth will come. And I want to suggest to you, and again I'm just throwing this out, I'm just throwing out the bait a bit here, okay. that there, there, is, there is a difference between being caught up as the church, okay, to be with Christ in the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we call it the rapture, it's not a dinosaur, okay, is the catching away of the church and the actual return of Christ to the earth where he will place his feet on the Mount of Olives from which he departed 2,000 years ago. Yes, absolutely. He went in bodily form, he returned in bodily form. Yes, Denise, Denise. Now, this is, this is exactly how it's John again. That's, that's the third three and a half years into it is. the tribulation period, so I'm being there yet. No, I think it's where the Israel take refuges in yeah, the tribulation. But uh, again, praise the Lord. I like to see you through that. Anyway, so, so Jesus went up, that's the scripture. Actually, you know, Ascension Day is a very important day in the Christian calendar. We don't tend to observe it, do we? But obviously 40 days after, after the, the death and resurrection, you have ascension then, alright? So during that period of time, he was appearing at various places to various people to prove that he was, he was resurrected. You know, Paul speaks about in Corinthians as well. He, 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 he gives us the impression that there are people that were still alive who witnessed the resurrected Christ. You know, men, a number of people who were still alive who had witnessed the resurrected Christ. Anyway, 40 days after he's taken up on what we call Ascension Day. Okay. <clears throat> Alright, this is an interesting scripture, friends. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. So now, before we were talking about the, where Jesus went between the, 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 the death and the resurrection, we talk about what happened. Now we're talking post-resurrection, post-ascension. Alright, so Christ has ascended into heaven. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 to 20 says, this hope, this hope, we have as an anchor of the soul. Do you have a hope as the anchor of the soul? Both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Those who maybe do not. To enter behind the veil, what did that mean? 
Again, John spoke about this in his study of the tabernacle. But you got what you talk about the gate today, didn't you? Yeah. You've got the tabernacle, which later was the, the, the temple construction in Jerusalem, yes? And it consisted of two parts. You've got the holy place and you've got the holy of holies. Never remember what furniture was in the holy place. Yeah, the Lord, the, the basin was outside of the yeah, was outside of the courtyard. So the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, which is the same as the Mercy Seat, the Holy Mercy Seat. That was in the Holy of Holies. But out in the holy place, you've got the candelabra and the menorah. You've got the showbread, and you've got something else before the veil. Which was the altar of incense. Okay? This is in the tabernacle. Um, later, as well, obviously, in the temple, it's the same set out. But what I'm trying to say is you've got two compartments, right? You've got the holy place where the priests ministered. Only the priests could go in and minister in the holy place. Okay? Making sure the candelabra and the lights were kept going on, the other lamps kept burning. Offering up the incense before the veil. Yes, and making sure the showbread was being changed and so on and so forth. Okay. Then you got this veil. You can see the veil here. And beyond the veil, you got the in the Holy of Holies, you got the Ark of the Covenant. That, friends, was the most holy, hold the holiest place on the face of the earth. It was the holiest place on the face of the earth. Why? Because that's where the presence of God would dwell in the midst of his people and would manifest occasionally, right? And so we read in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, about a day of the year, one day of the year only. I always spoke about this before. Remember which day it was? Where the high priest would go into that holiest place, the holy of holies. Do remember what day it was? Day of atonement. The day of atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. It was such a holy day. You know, there was so much preparation. Read about this preparation that they had to go through. Because the high priest was going into the presence of Almighty God. Yes? There was a veil that separated it all. But the high priest would take off his priest, his normal high priestly robes, you know, in a special breastplate and so on. And that's how he would look like, basically. He'd lay aside all his glory if you want. Have a think about it. Okay? And he would go into the Holy of Holies. He must not go in without the, the shed blood of animal, okay, of an animal sacrifice. First, he would go in on behalf of himself, and then he would go in on behalf of the people of Israel once a year to, to uh, sprinkle seven times upon the mercy seat the blood of the sacrifice. And there would be incense there as well. So you can imagine the room just being filled with the smoke of incense, probably to veil the presence of Almighty God, you understand? There is uh, a tradition that says that they used to have to tie a cord, I know you've heard this before, to the high priest, in case it all went wrong. <laughs> because if it didn't all go wrong, who's going to go in there? But there was some very meticulous preparation to be able to go in behind the veil. Yes, behind the veil. 
That's what we've been told here. We said this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us. You see, every time they were doing that, during the time of the Old Testament, every year that came down through all the preparations, and they would go in, that high priest would go in and sprinkle that wood on the mercy seat, all of it was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, who would enter as our great high priest behind the veil with his own blood, with the blood of animals and goats and so on, but he would come in with his own blood, which is so far superior to the blood of animals and goats. You can read a lot more about this Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10, and so on. Having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot of debate about what is meant by the order of Melchizedek. But personally, I think, is because in the same way that there's no, um, there's no record of his birth or his, or his death or his ending, that the high priest is an eternal high priest. It's another study, I know it's about your mind, but anyway. It's another study for another day. He's our eternal high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. The high priest representing the people of Israel. Our great high priest represents us. Where? In the presence, behind the veil, in the presence of God. When you look at the tabernacle and the temple, they are shadows. They are earthly shadows of heavenly realities. Copies, if you want, of the, the greater tabernacle in heaven. Again, Hebrews, read it, it's an awesome book. Speaks about all about this. So therefore, after his ascension, God, Jesus Christ, has entered behind the veil, and he has he is he's representing us as the high priest in heaven. He is your great high priest. How wonderful. Praise the Lord. He represents you just as the high priest would represent the people of Israel. Okay, so reflecting on that. We see that Jesus is taken in a way that it was clear that he was going to the Father. <laughs> you know, as we said, defying the laws of gravity, up he goes in the cloud, he's on his way to the Father. He ascends so that he can send the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when he's trying to encourage his disciples? He's saying, you know, I'm not going to leave you for orphans. It's better for, for you if I go away. Because if I go away, I'll send another. And he'll be a paracletos. He will be your, your helper. One who draws alongside you to help. And of course we know that he doesn't just draw alongside us. He lives in us, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Praise God. So he went so that he could send the Holy Spirit. He speaks about this in John 14, 16-17, Luke 24-49. He ascends to be worshipped alongside the Father. Now this is something else that we need to think about. Not only is our great high priest, but we know that he's seated at the right hand of the Father in majesty and glory. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Um, Revelation chapter 1 verse 11 to 14. Let's have a look at that. Revelation chapter 1 verse 11 to 14. We get a glimpse of the throne room. Is everybody okay? Good. Revelation chapter 1 verse 11 to 14. Another awesome book. Let's have a look. 
it's further on, I think it's chapter 4, sorry, chapter, chapter 5, sorry, it's chapter 5, Revelation 5, verse 11 to 14. Then I looked, to John speaking, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and another number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, that's a lot of people, right? Saying with a loud voice, why don't you imagine what this was like, yes? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and, as, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honour. And glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Yes? Wow, you can see here, who's the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain. Yes, praise God. What does it say? Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Praise God. As Jesus is, as he ascends into heaven, the Bible says also in Luke 24 verse 52 that the disciples worshipped him. They worshipped him. And we are also to worship. Amen? He's worthy to be praised. Good. He ascended to return in like manner to consummate his kingdom. <coughs> okay. We'll leave that for a long time. Anyway, as we just said, he knows he will return. He made it clear. If he went away, he would return. And when he returns, yes, I do believe it's not just one event, I think he will return to receive the church unto himself. There will be a period of time, then John will talk about this, and then he will return to establish his kingdom in the earth. To establish his kingdom in the earth for a thousand years. Praise God. So he's gone away, but he will come back to consummate the kingdom. He inaugurated it 2,000 years ago, if you want, but he's consummated it when he returns. He ascended to co-reign with the Father Listen, as a human being, that's interesting. You have not thought about that before, have you? That a human being is co-reigning with the Father. Jesus was and is fully human. Oh yes. He's fully God, but also fully human. He was resurrected in a physical human body. He ascended in a physical human body, a resurrected one, a glorified one, obviously. That's quite awesome to think about, isn't it? Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> the God planet. Hebrews chapter 2. And now we're flying around the Bible. That's good. That's good. How long have we got? 10 minutes for Hallelujah. Verse, we're going to read verse 5 to 9. 
of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, <coughs> Psalm like this, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels, you've crowned him with glory and honour, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things under subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, under Christ. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So if you take out that word in there and think about Christ. We do not see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Did you get that? We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he might, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Okay? He is co-regent with the Father. He's the King of the universe. Worship him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay? He is reigning now at the right hand of the Father. However, we've only got to look around and we can see that his reign is not fully consummated in the earth, is it? But we know that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, glory, to the glory of God the Father. Yes? Yeah. Praise God. So one day he will return and every tongue will confess. And every eye, every eye, every knee shall bow. Okay? It's better to do it now, folks. <laughs> Willingly. You know? It's better to do it now. Bless the Lord. Elsewhere, Psalm 110, verse 1 to 7. I'll read it. The Lord said to my Lord, interesting language, Sit at my right hand. Who sits at the right hand of the Father? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Again, that's just, that, just emphasizing the fact that Jesus is sat at the right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. You can read that, I think, in Hebrews chapter 1 as well. It's really interesting language. Basically, it just affirms that Jesus is God, alongside the Father. Okay, remember we talked about the Trinity? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Yes, one God revealed in three distinct persons. Yeah? Praise God. Hallelujah. Alright, so he's sitting on my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Wow. It's quite awesome, really, isn't it? Um, so this was... Quote from Polycarp. So, have you heard of Polycarp? There's a film actually to watch. It's on YouTube, Polycarp. That's right. He was John the Apostle's disciple. Okay? So, if some of you are in all this, you want to listen to all, don't you? But, you know. Anyway, this is what he says. Okay? Therefore, prepare for action and serve God in fear and truth, leaving behind the empty and meaningless talk and the error of the crowd. And believing in the one who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and gave him glory and a throne at his right hand. To him, all things in heaven and on earth were subjected, whom every breathing creature serves, who is coming as judge of the living 
I'm the dead. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love it. Praise God. Yes? One who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and gave him glory and a throne at his right hand. Co-regent with the Father. Wow. I think when he returns, folks, I think he will fulfill. Some people believe that he's fulfilling that now, his role now is the one who runs on the reigns on the throne of David, near the throne of David. Yeah? I think there's a difference between the throne of David and the heavenly throne. Do you think that, Denise? Yes. I think there's a there's a, a difference between the throne of David. I think the throne of David was always in Jerusalem. And I think that when Jesus returns, because the, the, the scriptures told us that he would reign on the throne of his father David, because it's in the lineage of David, when Jesus returns and he enters Jerusalem, that he will establish his kingdom and he will reign, he will sit literally on the throne of David. Okay? And I think he will literally fulfill that prophecy. Do you think they might remake it? Rebuild it like they're trying to rebuild parts of the... I don't know. Just, I don't know. Just a thought. I don't know. No, it's from the Which one? No, not, not, not the... Um, not the tomb of David. Not the tomb of David. The throne. It's about the throne of David. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's going to be a throne because it's what... The, basically speaking about the royal throne of the house of David. And the people of, 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 of Judah, if you want, like that royal line that reigned from Jerusalem. That's the royal city. That's where the house of David always was. And I believe that's where it will be during the millennial kingdom. The saint and the heart of the millennial kingdom will be Jerusalem. It's interesting if you read the book of Zechariah, the final chapter of the book of Zechariah, you'll see that once a year during that reign when he's back on the earth, once a year the nations will go up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, to worship him. Okay, you can read that book of Zechariah, I think it's chapter 12, 14, could be 14, but it says that he, he will be king over all the earth, that one king over all the earth in that day, okay, over the nations. So yes, there's a sense in which he's reigning now, of course, at the right hand of the Father, but there's a, another sense where that, that kingdom, that reign will be consummated in the earth, when he returns and he's set for him to establish his millennial kingdom in the earth. Amen. Everybody with me? Yeah. Wow, well, I know it's a lot to take in, isn't it? It is. I just want you to see that, you know, the plan of God is just awesome. It's so, so much bigger than often we think. Okay. Can I say something about Yes?
You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, What? Who's going to go there? Ephesians 2, verse 6. We are seated. Amen. We are seated in Christ or with Christ in heavenly places. One of the two. With Christ in the heavenly places. Yes, absolutely. There is a sense in which we reign with Him now. There is a certain amount of authority that delegates to us as His representatives. The fact that you are able to go out into the world and proclaim the kingdom and advance the kingdom as a representative of His kingdom. Alright? You've been delegating that authority. God wants to use you to advance His kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Almost like an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the earth. Okay, so there is a sense in which we do reign with Christ now positionally, but we're not experiencing the fullness of that yet. We're not experiencing the fullness of that yet. Ephesians 2 verse 6, Colossians 3 verse 1. However, this reign is fully realised in the future. We are to reign, to rule and reign with Christ. I believe during the during this millennial kingdom, we will, we will administer, assist him in administering his kingdom in the earth. Yeah. Alright? Praise God. Anyway, that's, a, that's another subject. It's a big one. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 verse 26 to 27, and verse 3 to 21. Let's have a look at just one of them. Let's pick, let's pick the first one. Two, Revelation 2, if you're there, you all know what that is. Verse 26. 27, just to give you some scripture, uh, where are we? Here. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also received from my Father, I will give him the morning star. Let me just read the other one, God. Read Revelation 21. Says to him I will comes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. In other words, talking about reigning, ruling and reigning with Christ. The one to the one who overcomes. Amen. Okay. I just want to throw this one in, in light of some of the things that we've been being taught today. Alright? Christ's reign is not ushered in by human means. Let me just reiterate that. Christ's reign is not ushered in by human means. It is consummated when he is ready to return. Why am I saying that, folks? Because there is a teaching today, it's called dominionism. Alright? It's from a specific group within the body of Christ who, who are teaching that the, the church needs to take over seven areas of society. Okay? It's called the seven mountain mandate. Alright, the church has to take dominion, is the key word. And when the church takes dominion over these seven areas of societies, you know, it can be like education, and business and commerce and so on, seven key areas of society. When the church does that, that will usher in the kingdom of God, that will bring the king back. The trouble with that is, it sounds great, but you don't find it anywhere in the scriptures. You don't find it. You don't see Jesus anywhere saying, You've got to go out and conquer the world first, seven areas of society, and then I'll come back. Doesn't say that at all, anyway. When it talks about the, the return of him, actually at one point it says no one knows the day or the hour, does it? Do you know? No one knows the day or the hour. So it might sound good, and I'm sure it's a good thing to get involved in the, 
be influential in these areas, but it's not that that's going to bring the kingdom back. What's going to bring the king back is when the father decides everything's ready and he says, now go and get your bride. Okay? Okay? So let's, it sounds good, guys, but let's, let's question. Now the scriptures teach that Jesus will come when, when, when he's ready. He doesn't need us to rush usher him back, to bring him in. He doesn't need us to be about the Father's business while we're waiting. We need to be preaching the gospel. Yeah, advancing the kingdom. Okay, praise God. Alright, going back to the great high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, I'm five minutes and then we're finished, alright? Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, we're not talking about the veil in the temple or the tabernacle anymore, we're talking about the reality now. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. I just want to say here, when he says let us hold fast our confession, it's because some of them were, were wobbling because of the pressure. Okay? If you read about Hebrews and understand some of the context of Hebrews, there's a lot of pressure for these Jewish Christians to go back into the old ways, back into the old covenant ways. And then he's encouraging them, just don't do that. That's going back into the shadows and the types and the realities. So hold fast your confession, the confession of your faith in Christ. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Okay, imagine, of course, that, that speaking generally can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but particularly when the pressure's on to give up, give up your faith. He's saying he can sympathize with you in your weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That means he's a perfect high priest who represents us perfectly because he can sympathize with us. How can he sympathize with us? Because he became human, so that he might be a representative. He tasted what it was to suffer. He tasted what it was to feel, you know, uh, 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 pain and all these things that we go through. To be tempted in various ways. He felt all these things. To understand us so that he might represent us. That should be, should give you great joy and confidence. Yeah? Amen. So he is the great high priest. He is represented. He's gone into the presence of God Almighty. Yes, he's reigning, but he's also the high priest. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He represents us. Also in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So not only has he taken in his taken, not only has he died on the cross for you as your substitute. And res been resurrected as the first fruits of the all resurrection. And ascended into the heavens as the forerunner, gone behind the veil into the presence, presented his own blood on your behalf and on my behalf. Not only has he done all that, but the Bible tells us also now he's forever in the presence of God, represented us as our great high priest, who forever always lives to make intercession for us. It's interesting. The word to intercede means to pray, to talk, to represent you, to talk to the Father about you. Do you understand? It's quite awesome, isn't it? It's not just a position. It's not just that he intercedes in terms of his position. He intercedes literally for you. And that's why I'm not, I'm not 
I don't feel I'm wrong to say that your, your name is on his lips. Wow. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? He knows who you are, and I'm sure that heaven does as well. And I'm sure that hell does as well. And the forces of darkness, you understand me? So this is an ongoing thing, friends. He hasn't stopped. Yes, the atoning work has stopped. Of course, he's paid the price all perfect. But the intercession continues. You can come to him continually. You can speak to him. You can, he can sympathize with you in, in your weakness. He can give you grace. He can speak to the Father. You can speak to the Father, of course, as well. But he'll speak to the Father about you as well. You understand? Amen. He's your great high priest representing you in heaven. So, 